Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 38 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Every week I'm having deep, vulnerable and unedited conversations with powerful men from around the world who've overcome adversity to thrive in their business and their lives. And this week um, in Montreal, I've been hanging out here for a couple of weeks, just having some downtime and enjoying some time with the family. Had a very up and down couple of weeks. We were uh, up at a, a farm during Canadian Thanksgiving. It was a beautiful time with the family. And then uh, Monday morning, guys, I got a call that nobody ever wants to receive to say uh, that my best friend, James Butler, had passed away. That was tough. That was really, really tough to receive that call. I'd been speaking to James, you know, the, the day before, and it was just completely unexpected to get that that phone call. James and I had become very, very close over the last year. He's an incredible coach, and he's actually one of the first podcast guests on the show. And if you want to go and listen to an incredible man talking about mission and powerful missions on the show, go and check out James's episode. Now that he's passed away, you'll, you'll hear it through uh, very different ears. But uh, James and I had been working in a, a men's group together. There was uh, four of us that were speaking roughly every Tuesday for a couple of hours, working on ourselves and our business. And we'd just become very, very close. He was uh, an extraordinary man. And if you look at uh, Facebook or anything about James that's been written uh, since he passed away, you'll get the impression that whoever he met, he had uh, an incredible impact on. Some people had never met him. I was at his uh, funeral and there was a guy there that only ever spoken to James on the phone a couple of times and he flew all the way across the States to beat his funeral just because James had had such a profound impact on him. There are people that had had one five-minute conversation with him and it had completely changed their perspective. And uh, I don't know what to tell you. He was that kind of guy, 28 years old, far too young. He'd lived uh, a jam-packed life. He was uh, a Navy uh, bomb disposal diver. And in the Canadian Navy, that was one of the most intense divisions you could get into. And he was one of the best, one of the best soldiers went to Afghanistan, then completely turned his life around after he had a, an accident while he was diving. One of his lungs collapsed while he was 200 feet under the water and couldn't, uh, couldn't be in the Navy anymore. All the options in the Navy didn't excite him. So completely reinvented himself as a coach and has gone on to be one of the most powerful coaches in the world at such a young age. Barring all that, though, he was just my friend, um, someone that I speak to on a regular basis that I would ring up and and say I was having a problem and likewise him for me he would ring up and just say hey I'm struggling with this I need to talk and we just had a lot of a long very deep conversations and he was one of those friends that I just always wished that I had and so I know he felt the same both of us were just so excited about our friendship and what it was becoming uh, a week before he died, he asked me to be his best man at his wedding, which was an honour and a privilege because he just got engaged and he was just planning to spend his life with amazing woman, Leanne, that he just met. So that was tough. I mean, there's been a lot of tears. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard. But I wanted to share that with you guys and just let you know uh, what's going on for me. I've always been open and honest on this podcast and that's, uh, that's what's happened for me in the last few weeks. The lesson, I guess, if I was to try and pull a lesson out of it is that James and I always knew how much we loved each other and we were very clear how grateful and, yeah, just how grateful and how much love we had for each other. So there was not a moment between each of us where we didn't know how much we loved each other. 
So that moment when he dies, you think, what was the last conversation I had with him? What did I say? And I know the last time we spoke, I was helping him with something and I just gave him some feedback about how fucking powerful he was and just to remind him because he was having a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a moment. And that felt good. So it just reminded me in all my relationships that you got to let people know. Stop withholding. Uh, I got to stop withholding my love and just keep letting people know how much I love them, how much I care about them. And so, because none of that other shit matters once somebody passes on. But let's shift gears a little bit and let me tell you about another incredible man. That's Richie Hardcore, who's on the show this week. I had a great conversation with Richie. He's a New Zealand Muay Thai champion, champion martial artist, and just a advocate for all things social good. He speaks in schools and uh, appears on TV, had his own radio show for a while, and just has a really cool story. Uh, so he opened up a lot on this conversation talking about his own struggles and things that happened in his life and how he's overcome them. I think you'll get a lot out of it. So without uh, further ado, enjoy this wonderful, powerful conversation with Richie Hardcore. Yeah, cool. Okay, so I was born in the home my mother still owns and lives in, in Glen Eden in, in West Auckland in 1980. So that makes me 37. So I'm a child of the 80s. I grew up with like MacGyver and Transformers in their in their prime. Although the movies today are pretty sick, if you like a bit of escapism. And I guess I grew up in like a lower middle class environment in that we didn't want for anything. Always had all my material needs met and yeah, was fortunate and privileged in that regard. But I guess what's come to have led me to do a lot of the work I've done as an adult was my father's alcoholism. Um, And I've talked about that a lot publicly in the last few years. And I'm always appreciative of my father who exists in the world and and might have someone one day, probably not though, because I don't think his his friends are on social networks, be like, yo, I heard your son talking about growing up. But my dad's always been like, uh, yo, if you're being honest about what growing up was like and it helps someone else, then I'm comfortable for you to do that. So because because growing up was difficult due to that, my dad wasn't, you know, Jake the Mars, but it wasn't the Brady Brunch either. We grew up with a lot of, you know, a lot of violence and, you know, police visits and just instability generally. Yeah, I think my father never has said that he has, like, mental health issues. But having been a professional in the alcohol and drug space myself now as an adult for several years and then moving into advocacy, you know, I think my dad, you know, dealt with the stresses of life as his generation and indeed subsequent generations have anything to do with, with alcohol, you know. And so, yeah, that really affected me. I was a pretty sensitive kid, naturally inclined to reading books and playing Dungeons and Dragons and, uh, yeah, quite far removed from, I guess, who I am now in some regards. Although that said, that kid's still in there. I just have covered it up with like muscles and tattoos and like being real good at fighting. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, like I think I've, I've, I'm always doing this unpacking as to why I am the way I am and why I do what I do. And and as a kid who was scared a lot, I've uh, unconscious one of those unconscious drivers around, I guess, self protection. Mm. Can you wait there, Nathan? No, 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 tienes que, uh, como se dice? Eh, esperar. Sí, esperarlo. No, porque estoy uh, haciendo una entrevista ahora. 
Entonces, ya, no pasa nada, no pasa nada. Muchas gracias. Chao, que tengas un buen día. So Richie's in uh, so like some background to this. Richie's in Mexico right now in Guadalajara. He's just arrived, and that that was your uh, your cleaner is in the background cleaning your hotel room. <laughs> okay, muchas gracias, muy amable. Sorry, bro. Um, That's okay. Yeah, she was going to vacuum, and I was like, "Yo, don't vacuum. I'm doing an interview. Um, do you have any toothpaste though?" <laughs> um, your Spanish sorry. is very good as well. Oh, thanks. I actually have an honors degree in Spanish. Oh, wow. Yeah, sure. University of Auckland. But I don't speak as well as I'd like to. It's something that I'm, I've always got like a million one things that I want to get better at. Mm-hmm. I'm like, a, yeah. Anyway, one of those is like being a healthy human. And so, <laughs> I, as I was saying, I'm always unpacking about um, why I am. And I guess, yeah, those subconscious drivers where you feel unsafe and insecure and you don't have this stability around you a lot. So I put quite strict boundaries on myself from a young age, you know what I mean? Mm. And that came through um, martial arts. So when all my friends were getting like fucked up on alcohol and drugs and shit like that, I was always in the gym and out running at 6 a.m., you know, like, which yeah. looking back, it's kind of atypical behavior for a lot of teenagers, you know? Yeah. And 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 I guess it's what's kept me safe through my, my, my adult life, albeit again, retrospectively, and I can understand, it's actually made like interpersonal, like being in love and being in relationships hard at times because there's this funny, there's this funny correlation. When you grow up with instability, you seek out instability. And so I've always found myself in, in relationships where I've fallen into this codependent sort of role as a rescuer quite often. So I'm quite often in love quite authentically with people who have got their own alcohol and drug issues or mental health issues or, and I'm in this sort of like, again, this is all these little subconscious drivers, behaviors I've come to understand. And I'm all like, no, no, you need to be like this, you know, like, which is something I'm really working hard on myself to have stepped away from. And because there is that codependency at the same time, like I, I keep people a little bit one step removed because I've got such a strict regime like when you're out the door 6 a.m every day and you're watching what you eat as a you know i used to be a professional kickboxer and amateur kickboxing champion and i did that for a long time like it's kind of hard when you're with someone who wants to go out and like party (laughs) you know what i mean like it's quite it's quite a funny thing so um see uh yeah one second more. I'm just getting toothpaste. Ah, gracias. No, no, it's perfecto. Gracias. Que tengas un buen día. I got toothpaste now, dog. I feel like I'm Any... in Mexico. This is awesome. <laughs> feel like Yo, a, Mexico. A free holiday. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Entonces, um, yeah. So I don't know. So, so that was the big defining thing, I guess, for me. You know, um, I think my father's alcoholism really shaped me, and we've come to peace with that, man. Like I'm crazy appreciative of the relationship I have with my dad. You know, like he's been through rehab a couple of times, first time when I was 10 and the second time when I was 15 and 16. And then, no, three, and then he fell off again when I was 31, which was, I think the, the last one was really triggering for me, brought up a lot of stuff. And, and I used to be married and I'm divorced now. And I think it brought up a lot of stuff that meant that I sort of played out quite, quite badly. Yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out, actually. But that was hard. Did you hard take it you- personally in a way? I didn't take it personally. It's just like um, it's it's hard when you're when someone that you love the most, like love heaps, has like rings you up with all these like goes from the past and teary long fucking conversations. 
and it brings out heaps of shit in you that you didn't realize you hadn't dealt with. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, what kind of things? I don't know. Uh, I don't know what to, I don't know what to bring up. Well, to be completely honest with you, so I'm, I'm, I'm divorced, right? And that, that divorce went through three years ago. And that's like the big grief of my adult life. Like I really miss, I don't know if like we were necessarily, I mean, we were together for a long time, like 11 years. You know, when you meet someone when you're 23, who you are when you're 31, is very different if mm. you're like intentional and growing, you know? When I met my ex-wife, um, I was this, skinny kickboxing kid who worked in a warehouse and just like punk rock and hardcore music and jumping off stages and fucking running all the time, you know, <laughs> and, and I like fighting. And, and I met, I met this beautiful woman and we started this relationship, which was quite tumultuous in the first year. Like, uh, you know, she was coming out of a serious relationship and I didn't really know about, I didn't really know what the fuck was going on. You don't know shit when you're in your twenties, to be honest. Like, think we have it's i find that like a real funny thing you know like we have this culture which is super youth centric i was talking about this on my instagram today with this real youth focused you gotta look you know like do you agree with that i think like you know like people put like your, your 20s as like your vibrant time but actually yeah i think 30s, you're right i think for the, the people I, I talk to they're in their 30s and 40s and like dude this is when it gets good the pressure's mm. gone to be someone or get it right because you've failed so many times at that point and yeah. so you're just in this space where you're like right i'm living for me yeah exactly and you become a bit more comfortable in your your skin and you're aware with all the multiple fucking contradictions that we live with like we're we are all i don't know we're all good and bad you know like good people do bad things and bad people do good things and like think quite often in social media land People are really black and white, but real life isn't like that. And in my, in my 20s, I, I didn't really know, you know, I'm finding who I was. And when I came up in my 30s, I had a better idea of that was, and I didn't know how to communicate that journey with, with my with my ex-wife. And so we sort of grew apart under the same roof, and I didn't really realize that at the time, you know, like we're sleeping in separate rooms, not because we're fighting or anything, but like, she would go out and be out partying and I would be at home fucking getting ready to go running at seven in the morning. And I was like, Oh, it's just easy to sleep in the guest room sometimes. You know what I mean? And like, that just seemed like logical thing. When you grow up in a house with dysfunction, like dysfunction becomes normal for you, you know, like on a deep, deep level, you know, like not for everyone, but you know, there is a degree of, you know, I, I read a lot about this and I talk to a lot of psychotherapists and psychologists and other people's of experience, but you normalize that, you know, like you sort of internalize that instability that becomes your conditioning. And then so like your, your models for what is normal, quote unquote, I mean, what the fuck is normal, but what is healthy can be a bit skewed. And so for me, I was like, no one's screaming, you know, I mean, again, this is everything, pretty much everything I talk about is retrospective and Mm. things I've come to learn looking backwards and unpacking why it didn't work out. Like I was like, well, no one's screaming at each other and people aren't throwing things at each other and no one's hitting each other. So like, that's all right. Must be fine. Yeah, you know, like you have a weird baseline for what a healthy relationship is. So we kind of, you know, we were in love, but like, I guess, moving in a different direction. And then when my father relapsed, I guess, like, it brought up a lot of shit. And that's not blaming my dad at all. I'm just trying to figure out why all this stuff happened. And so, yeah, I was, I was, and then, you know, I was in this marriage and we weren't, I guess, connecting. And then 
I met someone else who also had a history of addiction issues and then fell into like an, an affair with them, which in hindsight wasn't the sole reason my marriage ended, but it was, you know, a huge contributing factor. You know what I mean? And that's my old, you know, that old rescuing condition coming up. Again, that doesn't blame, that's not excusing the blame. I, I'm not excusing myself because having an affair is a really painful course of action. And um, I wouldn't recommend it to anyone, <laughs> you know, like, but at the same time, I think that we put a lot of pressure on people to, I don't know, we don't give people the tools they need to negotiate relationships healthily. Like if you look at divorces, it's what, like 40 to 50% of all marriages end. And I think because from a young age, we grow up with these Hollywood fairy tale idea notions of what relationships are. And they're far from that. You watch a Hollywood film, right? And when it's, the, the movie ends after like there's this back and forth romance and pursuit and like there's some dramatic high point and then they resolve that and then love and then happy ever after, right? You know, like when the relationship, you there's know no, what I mean? There's no constant working on the relationship and exactly. growth and challenges and compromise. and Yeah, you look at like any sitcom with like Vince Vaughn or like, Fucking someone like that, you know, like rom-com, not sitcom. When the the girl gets the guy or the guy gets the girl, it's like, oh, yeah, that's the end of the movie. But, like, that's not what a relationship is. Relationship isn't all those heavy feelings. It's the start of a relationship, you know, like sex every day and, like, fancy dinners and, <laughs> and just, you know, that crazy fucking intoxicating sensation when you just can't stop thinking about someone and wondering what they're doing in your heart races when they text you and like that's the good shit what a relationship is is still wanting to spend time with someone and make them your primary focus when you've seen them in a hospital and they're most vulnerable you know like when you've held their hair back when they're puking up or when you have literally shit the bed next to them because you're traveling in Peru and you get sick. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and then you still, still, it's oddly you still specific examples. <laughs> and like, like, yeah, I got real bad food poisoning on my honeymoon in Peru. And, um, and so, so, so yeah, so I ended up, you know, running off and having this stupid affair and there was so much drama and heartbreak. And I still, you know, that was six years ago. And I still carry some guilt and I'm still working towards resolving all of that. And and my ex-wife and I are, are friends now. And, and Do you I'm, know about the fear or find out about it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Dude, dude it was fucking like, you know, we're talking about movies. This yeah. was like, the, this was like the romantic tragedy, you know, like <laughs> we're talking about rom-coms. Well, this was like a drama. It was like the most terrible thing. It was so heartbreaking for me and for her. And, I, and, I've, and I've apologized profoundly because you know I like to consider myself like I guess all people as a good person my adult work is around stopping alcohol and drug harm and trying to end family violence and sexual violence and I try and live to a higher purpose and that might sound real corny and idealistic and I'm aware I'm a small fucking piece of this huge machine and I'll die and no one will remember me but like I'm trying to make a difference and and, and I like to think that is you know, a good thing to do with your life. And I guess I try and live by a set of morals, you know, and to have had an affair and, and all the lies and sneaking around that goes with that, um, I guess kind of was quite counter to how I wanted to be living. But having You hold yourself that, to a higher standard. 
Yeah, I try, yeah, I try and hold myself to a high standard, you know, like I try and be like, fuck, none of us are perfect. And, 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 and that's the point I'm getting to is that in my 20s, when I was going through university and getting my degree and like I was like straight edge, vegetarian, sometimes vegan. And like I boycott all these different products and brands and like would tell people off if they didn't do the recycling properly. <laughs> I got quite self fucking righteous. You know what I mean? Because mm. here I am like setting myself apart from shitty mainstream society and you sheeple are just going along with the flow and like you're the reason the world's got all these problems. And then I have this big calamitous personal upheaval that, you know, which did lead to like people judging me in my peer circle. But it, but it made me realize that we are all just fucking doing the best we can with what we have. No one gives us a particularly helpful rule. Well, not many people get a particularly helpful rule book for life. We, we grow up with our dysfunctions and our idiosyncrasies and our social conditioning and our family conditioning and, and, and our behaviors often fall out of that. And so I've come to understand that when people do things that we define as bad, quite often they're just people being people. Do you know what I mean? Sure, it's yeah. It's usually things. You know, like I, work, I worked for the Ministry of Health in New Zealand in reducing alcohol and drug harm. And, and in my 20s, as a person who'd been hurt very much by alcoholism and then, you know, emotionally, and then, you know, I've had partners, I had partners who would abuse drugs and, you know, like uh, cheat on me or uh, hurt my feelings and recreate all this instability. You know, I was hurt very much by alcohol and drug use, other people's. You know, every fist fight I ever got in growing up in, at a party or in a street or in a bar was always with someone intoxicated and all that shit stuck out. And, and so I got into like the straight edge scene in the, you know, which came from America. Some of my friends in New Zealand were some older guys and they were really into hardcore. Hardcore is a, a style of music, right? It's like a subgenre of punk rock. People were, and it's funny, I, you know, uh, so I, le- I legally changed my middle name to, to hardcore because it also became my ring name when I was fighting in New Zealand. And in, in the early 2000s, before kickboxing was as big as it is now, like um, I was really, I was really good in New Zealand. Like I had a bunch of New Zealand titles and South Pacific titles, and so I changed my name because hardcore was this music that had shaped me so much and and introduced me to ideas like feminism and you know vegetarianism and, and animal rights and introduced me into you know uh, class struggle and all these different really powerful ideas that that really helped me look at the world. I always felt the world was fucked and like, I didn't like it, but I didn't know why. And then I come into this scene of music where people are singing about it, screaming about it. And, you know, we'd go to shows and there'd be t-shirts about animal rights now. And, but at the same time, there was this real anger in it, which is an anger I still kind of carry out, although it's numbed, not numbed, that's the wrong word. It's lessened. I'm not so viciously angry anymore, I guess. <laughs> but like, but at the same time, like, Within all of that, there's this thing, thing called straight edge. And straight edge is quite a diverse spectrum of people's personal beliefs. And some people are like, yo, this is just for me. And I love being alcohol and drug and cigarette free. And some people tie in like not having promiscuous sex and like basically like escapism. Hedonistic escapism isn't what I'm about. It was what they'd say. And you do you though. Whereas there's this, there's this hardline um, edge like to the straight edge scene, which all emanated from the United States where – People would like beat up people who were doing drugs, who turned up to a concert or like 
you know, there's this, there's a famous T-shirt which was like, kill your local drug dealer. Or, um, you know, I used to have this T-shirt when I was young. It said, cancer cures smoking. Just shit like that. And, and, and like, I get where that outrage comes from. You know, there was this song called um, Firestorm, which was real, very famous in that scene in the late 90s by a band called Earth Crisis, who still exists today. We come out of Syracuse, New York. And the singer, Cal, he, he, he went and visited. I read the story behind the song once in an interview. He went and visited his sister who had just given birth and he saw um, like crack addicted babies and in incubators, which is a really upsetting thing to, to think about, yeah. you know? And he thought some motherfucker has stood on a street corner and sold an obviously pregnant woman fucking crack. And he wrote this song, which was about like street by street, block by block, taking it all back, a firestorm to purify like, the, the the poison that society drowns in. It was about going out and killing and rounding up drug dealers and shit. Some kids took that fucking really literally in America. And that filtered down to ideas that we had in, in little old New Zealand, you know? And so I was very angry towards people who use drugs. And I thought they weren't as good as me. But I, I found myself working in the drug and alcohol space starting at 31, many years later, many experiences later. And I came to see that abuse of anything, whether it's food or methamphetamine or alcohol or the fucking internet, you know, like it's just because we, we hurt and we need to do something to not for a while, you know, even if that's for half an hour, a fucking day of being high or spending all your time trying to get the perfect selfie on the internet. So it gets the most like we all have coping mechanisms and society doesn't really offer us uh, fucking good ones from the get go. You know, so we fall into what we fall into. Uh, and yeah, does, does that make sense? Yeah. So having had that affair, it really made me reflect on all of that and it made me fall off my high horse. And I'm really appreciative of that. There's a saying in Muay Thai and in kickboxing, you know, like you either win or you learn, you know, like you never lose mm. because the times when we fight and we lose, we quite often evolve our practice. We learn skills, we develop skills, we'll go back to the gym and practice for months to get good at something that was a weakness. And I try and look at the end of my marriage like that these days while I still have this emotional trauma that I'm, you know, I'm good with. I've had a new relationship and I'm happy again, generally, you know, but um, I was in quite a depression for a long time. But all of that has made me a better person. I'm a much kinder, gentler, more understanding, uh, patient. I'm way more patient. I'm a better communicator. I'm more accepting of people's differences. And that none of that would have happened if I hadn't, I guess, lost the love of my life. And so that's a that's a funny fucking what do you call that? Not dichotomy. Uh, yeah, paradox. Paradox. It's a funny paradox. It's quite funny because me and my ex-wife are like quite different people now, and my values and her values are very different. But it, it, and and maybe it wouldn't have worked out anyway. But for it to have ended in such difficult and painful circumstances. Like it ended and then went on and off again for like years and years and years, you know, on again, off again, on again, off again, as relationships tend to do. So we obviously had this very deep attraction and, and love, but yeah, it, it, we'd never quite got back onto being in the same book on the same page. We we're always on the same book on a different page. So you put that to bed and yeah, now I'm in this space of starting a new relationship with someone who's always also been divorced. And I don't know, like it, it's, it's kind of like we were talking about earlier, like we have this youth-focused culture. But, you know, I'm 37 now. 
now I feel like I could actually have a proper fucking relationship. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I know how to, I know how to be, to just fucking communicate and be okay with not being okay. And, and I have all these way healthier understandings of what, what a relationship is and how to resolve conflict within them. I never had fucking any of that in my twenties, you know, who no one's fault. It's just how it fucking is. It's this kind of philosophy of not, not, you're not actually growing and learning and changing. You're actually stripping back stuff and figuring out where things came from and like yeah. st- stripping things back and seeing uh, actually what the truth is about who you are. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like what works and what doesn't work. And, you know, like I just put this on Instagram today, like I'm getting older, you know, like I spend all my youth, you know, I have academic pursuits and, you know, all that sort of stuff. But like, I guess like I define myself through my physicality a lot. I can run this fast in this amount of time and and, and I can lift these weights and I can do this many kicks and I can knock this person out. And like as a sport, that was great. And then it also became like a coping mechanism and um, for stress and, and sorrow and pain. And it's continued to be that. Well, those are like, the acceptable addictions, right? Like yeah. Those, addicted to like being running every day or uh, going out and buying a new pair of shoes every three days or something like that. Those are kind of addictions that we laugh at or we don't challenge because they, they seem okay. Yeah, exactly. It's not as hardcore as putting a needle in your arm. Yeah, exactly. And so I've done that, but I'm starting to realize like, oh, I'm getting older, you know, like I won't be able to do that. I mean, I will always be able to train. Like I've got good friends from their late 40s who train very hard doing CrossFit and stuff and running marathons and shit. So and I'm, that's my plan. I want to be doing that. But I'm always going to be getting slower and it's going to take me longer to recover between sessions. And that's just fucking biology. That's just age, you know, like, mm. and so I'm like, how do I come to be more at peace with myself so I don't need to like do that stuff as, you know, like as a need. Like, I like training for training's sake. I think being physically and mentally and emotionally healthy is the single most important thing that we can do with our lives because we can't help other people if we're not well ourselves. And, and so I think it's really important to keep that that going. But, um, but like I'm also like, oh, shit, I better figure out better ways to cope you know i won't always just be able to step out step on some shoes and go running for like 20 k's as i've done when i've been really really hurt and then i'll feel better you know I, you know i'm out here in, in mexico traveling by myself and that that means that i have a, a lot of thinking time and that's cool but it does bring up shit and so like you get a bit insecure or you feel a bit fucking weird about yourself or you're like i've been eating a lot of fucking you know burritos am i getting fat you know <laughs> like you know so like I'm, I'm, you know, I just went to the gym this morning and instantly I could feel myself feel better. So, but will I do that when I'm 60? I don't, I don't know. Maybe I'll have, I don't know. Well, it's good, good reflection time. Like I, yeah. I, I went to uh, Colombia in August and spent a month in Colombia and I really was intentional about being alone for a month because I realized my life's pretty chaotic. It's super busy. I'm always around people. I'm always doing something different. I'm always traveling. And what, what am I, what am I missing by not? having that alone time and so I just spent a whole bunch of time just meditating and one time I just sat in a chair for two hours (laughs) like not meditating but just eyes open looking outside and just being and just to notice what was there you know and like to get bored and then still stay and then get bored again and go this is crazy and then still stay and then a whole lot of cool stuff came out from that yeah that shit is hard. Fuck, I feel anxious about just hearing you talk sitting down and still for two hours. You know what I mean? I know, like, right? You know, like, you know, well, like. That's our I, personality types. You know, we have a, my personality is driven from a fear of boredom and a fear of missing out. And so yeah, it just, me too. It just keeps me busy all the time. 
yo, that's me in Auckland, man. And so, like, I'm out here in fucking Mexico. It's beautiful. I've never been to Guadalajara before. I'm meeting nice people. It's fucking great. And I'm freaking out about all the work. You know, I got offered some quite well-paying work in Auckland doing some fun Instagram shit. And it's like, damn, I can't do that right now. Lincoln Park played in, in um, like, Lincoln Park with all these guest vocalists played in L.A. last night. And I was like, oh, I'm missing that. I want to be everywhere all at once simultaneously. Mm. And it, it constantly stresses me out that I can't do that. I used to have this I used to have this thing where I wanted like multiple well, this is when I was in my twenties and like a weirdo. More of a weirdo. I don't know. Maybe I'm but like I always wanted to have like multiple doppelgangers of myself who are like identically like me and they could live all these alternate existences. <laughs> you it's know experiencing like experiencing life in different ways. Yeah, totally. And like often that centered around like the girl I would be with, you know what I mean? Like I wanted to like the Richie that would go out with this girl and that girl and that girl and we would live these alternate realities and like, because who you're with does shape fucking your life choices. You and know, would, all like, the Richies, would all the Richies meet on a Monday and just share notes? Is that how it would work? Oh, dude, we'll, yeah, we'll be like, yo, what's up? How's it going with the poet? You know, like, <laughs> the poet. You know, like, you know it's like, oh, it's good, man. Like, it's pretty wild, man. Like, I'm, you know, and like I would change, like who I am would change a lot. Over the years, the people that we're with do influence us, not because we have a weak sense of self, but just because we experience different things and it takes us to different paths and interests and you cultivate some and you just cull and strip back others and like, that would be so fucking fascinating. Do you know what I mean? I saw this, uh, Kyle Cease put this video out. I don't know if you know him, but I quote him all the time. It's ridiculous. But um, he, he put this video out last week and he was talking about watching Wheel of Fortune. And on Wheel of Fortune, they have some bonus round. It's like, can you believe that show's still going? Remember, um, was it like Philip Leishman or something? <laughs> he used to do that in New Zealand like 20 years ago. But it's still going in America, right? And they... Um, you do a bonus round and some envelope and if it lands on that thing, there's a a prize in the envelope. And if you, then you answer the question or you try to get the, the, the the word right. And if you get it right, they say, Oh, here's look in the envelope. Wow. You want a brand new car, but they also open the envelope if you get it wrong. So if you get it wrong, they go, Oh, it was a brand new car. So you would have won a brand new car. And he was like, imagine if you had that for life. Like every decision yeah. you make, like every decision you make, Philip Leishman jumps out. Like if you say, uh, someone says, hey, you want to come to Mexico with me? And you go, nah, I just, I, yeah, I don't have the time. And then someone jumps and Philip Leishman opens an envelope and goes, well, here's what you missed out on. You would have met three people. You would have met the woman of your dreams. And exactly. you would have ended up living in the Mexico with this beautiful woman. So I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I know. And that's so funny. And and like, you know, not to dwell on my divorce, like I'm not as hung up as this interview makes me sound. <laughs> like, but like, I speak Spanish and I have a degree in, 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 in um, you know, I've got like a an honors degree from University of Auckland in Spanish. I have a degree in politics from that as well. And like, it's all because I chased my ex-wife to Mexico. Like we'd broken up uh, after a year of our relationship. We'd broken up over some drama uh, and, and then she came to me and she's like, I'm really sorry about all that stuff and I really miss you and I wish you were here. So I quit my job on Monday and I was in Mexico on Wednesday. And then I was with that woman for the next like fucking 11 years of my life. You know what I mean? Mm. And I have these skills and shit like that. And now here I am back revisiting that country. And that, and I'm curious to know like, what if there were like 13 other people I could have like had alternate fucking realities with, what you know what happened? I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Does that make you know what I mean? Oh, yeah, I don't know it's if, fascinating. I don't know if that's weird or unhealthy or not, but well, I think it comes from that fear of missing out. And you, I mean, it's there, right? So you can't 
just go, okay, I'm just going to shut that off and pretend and just focus. It's, it's, it's about embracing that and go, wow, like I really have that fear and I can, I can either have that fear run my life like any fear, right? You can, it can, it can run you and you can run your life or you can acknowledge that it's there and just be with the pain of missing out. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm always doing that. I'm always like, am I living my most optimal life? Like, am I getting the most out of it and using the most of my opportunities and like being as big and as, as I can be? Do you know what I mean? Like mm. I'm really into the idea of like trying to achieve fucking everything. And then now I'm kind of like, ah, oh, I don't know if I've achieved them. You know, fucking Jacinda Ardern's 38, seven and, and she's fucking prime minister. Fuck what am I doing? Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> do you know what I mean? It's well, like, that's a new world, right? That, that's like you said, looking at Instagram and this, this way there's all these kids that are depressed and committing suicide. There's so much comparison. Yeah, that, and that's also true. It isn't actually, I mean, what the fuck is the goal of life? To do everything? Probably not. I mean, like, as long as you're happy, that's the main thing. And I feel like I'm happy. I mean, I like to think I'm happy. Well, we know. I we mean, have this weird thing now where we know what's accessible in the world because of the internet and Instagram and yeah, YouTube, yeah, yeah. we now can see instantly what we're missing out on. Where I guess if you yeah, like, exactly. if you grew up in Omaru in 1983, like you, you didn't know what was going on around the world outside of what you yeah, read in the exactly. newspaper. Yeah, and and so like you know, I've done like I used to be a radio host at this real cool independent radio station in Auckland for like 15 years, and um and through that and the hardcore scene and stuff, I've always been around music and. I've got to meet some like incredibly famous people as an interviewer. Um, and I have friends who are incredibly successful um, out in the world doing like that big level shit that I guess I'm talking about. And like I, when you come close to that, I guess you're always like, fuck, what am I, how do I not, how, what am I doing wrong that I can't quite get there? Do you know what I mean? Like, how do I, and then you're like, why don't I get, what, do, what, what am I doing wrong that I, you know, like, am I fucking like just shit at like whatever it is you're pursuing? to not be as that at that umpteenth level of success. And then sometimes you just have to go, like, yeah, you're not that good <laughs> at like a bunch of shit. Do you know what well, I mean? Like, would be, a lot of people would think that about you, right? They would see that you've got national titles and Muay Thai and everything go like, wow, why can't I be that disciplined? Yeah, but I don't know. But you see, you know, like I train guys. So I've become a all right trainer at Muay Thai and I've trained guys who are literally like professional world champions or, or and all this sort of stuff. And I get to, you know, yeah, I get to, you know, like people who are really good will come to me and they will ask me to train them. And that's really humbling. And then I, and I see fucking the top level, dude. again, like, I don't know, like I've been with top, around top level dudes my whole life, basically, whether it's in music or in fucking sport. And I don't know, like it's, a, I just know that I'm not that good at that at stuff. <laughs> Do you know, like comparatively <laughs> speaking, I'm just like, I'm pretty average at that. Or, you know, like six and a half, seven out of ten and getting worse as I get older. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I don't know what I'm really saying here, but it's like, I guess that, yeah, maybe it is that comparison thing. It makes you not feel good enough or aware of your limitations or, but at the same time, like wanting to strive to be more. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think like striving to be more is a good thing or it's constantly keeping us dissatisfied? I think it's uh, the same as everything, right? It's in moderation and it's, it's such a boring answer, but striving can help you win the Olympics and it can also drive you crazy. Yeah. Which is yeah, like, I can definitely like, like fire, yeah. right? Fire can heat up a bowl of soup, but it can also burn you. Oh, um, that's, that's simple, but good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's, uh, it's, it's like that. And it's, 
it's acknowledging those things. It's acknowledging the pain of missing out. Like I say, it's not, you know, the, the way is through, the way is not around, it's through. It's through the the fear and the pain of not being able to do everything or not missing out or going, wow, you know, I'm probably never going to be the prime minister. And that is a part of me that, that that hurts a little bit. I don't know why. I don't have, I don't actually really want to be prime minister, but I just, the pain of the comparison hurts a little bit. And it's like, okay, cool. And I, yeah, I accept it, it that part of me and then I move on rather than go, is that a bad thing? Is that a good thing? Just go, well, that's, it is just in me. Yeah, I'm I'm like that with like heaps of shit, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I'm like oh, I'm never gonna. But then I'm like I could be. I could try. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Like I got asked to run for for um for the Green Party, um for the election this year. At, at last year, I talked to their. They they had sounded me out. They're like, hey, we'd love you to stand as a candidate and stuff like that. And I was like, oh wow, that's amazing. And I was really flattered to be asked. And I decided not to, although I would like to potentially do that one day because I do care a lot about, I know, I think politics is, does have the ability to create a kind of society. And I think that we're going to see that over the next few years in New Zealand, at least with you know, a new leadership and a new regime. And, and it'd be amazing to have a small part to play in that should one be fortunate and um, privileged enough to make it into parliament. But um, I was like, mm, nah. You know, like, I, I hate it when people say mean things about me on Twitter as it is, like, who oh, I've never met. You would get that in mass, like, mm. if you were in politics. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So, and I, and also, like, financially, like, I didn't necessarily feel like I was set up enough to put down my businesses and go all in on politics. And so then I'm left wondering with what we're talking about, like, am I good enough? Could I have done that? I guess it's all just what we're talking about is like mm, trade-offs, right? We have to trade off certain things for other things, and yeah, we want to be everything. I guess that's it. Mm. I want to be everything all at once, simultaneously, and thus my weird desire to have multiple existences all at once. Yeah, it's sorry. I'm, <laughs> but I don't know if I'm making any sense. I feel like you've got like a rebelling. Well, you're making a lot of sense because this is a big issue, right? Like I, I don't think everybody's like this far from, and I think this is, you know, but I think there are a lot of people that experience this in some for another or some form of intensity or another. I think it's, 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 it's like a good topic to talk about and whether or not you can, like how you live with that, right? Because if you, like you're obviously a very driven, intense person and I no doubt if you, wanted to be in the Green Party, you would throw everything at it and you would be amazing at it. That's just your personality, just from only talking to you for an hour. <laughs> but <laughs> if you if you don't do that or if you do do that with everything and then you suddenly have taken on way too much and now you feel like shit all the time because you're stressed and overwhelmed, is that worth it? Yeah, well, no, it's not. And that's funny you say that. It is funny you say that. And I guess that ties into what I'm saying, where it's like being mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually healthy is the most important thing. Because, well, yeah, I got quite sick this year. Not like I was dying, but, you know, I had the flu, proper influenza, and then like sinus infection and all this sort of Man shit. Man flu is no joke. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> actually no joke. And then like, yeah, and then I had like an allergy to antibiotics and stuff like that. Mm. And it made me pause and and um, realize how much stuff I do actually do at the same time. While I'm talking about all the shit that I'm crap at or average at and and not doing, like I am crazy busy and like should I put more on top of all of that stuff? Then it would 
I'd always be sick. Having that, again, it ties into like the whole like when something unpleasant happens to you, it can teach you a lot. It, it reminded me just that brief sickness that um, it's good to pause and take time out and that maybe achieving a million and one things all the time isn't always the best. I don't know. Like there's this constant tension between those things within me. You know, like I'm literally just here in Guadalajara. I'm just walking around, man. I, I literally just walk around. I have no music on. Um, I enjoy listening to people um, speaking Spanish and meeting strangers and eating vegan Mexican food. And it's very simple. And I'm pretty fucking happy. I, like I literally am like, I have this journal I carry around. It's called, um, uh, it's entitled My Dysfunctions. And you... <laughs> You write about like what you're dysfunctional about. And then I wrote yesterday, I'm really well today. And it felt really good to write that, you know, and I'm fucking doing nothing. Like I'm not really doing anything. I'm just existing. The most I've done is lift some weights, you know, and put some shit on Instagram. And, and, and that's great. And should I chase some new desire? Maybe I won't be that happy. I don't know. Well, that's like looking at it and going, well, if I just meditate for two hours a day, eat healthy, lift weights, and just walk around and just be and do what I feel like and meet people and try and be a good person. Is that, why is that not good enough? Yes, I know. I wonder that too. But then I'm like, how am I helping other people by not trying to play big? How am I like living? How am I maximizing my impact on the planet? I put this fucking thing on the internet the other day, right? And uh, on Facebook, this young man at a university down in at Lincoln University in, in New Zealand, written this horrible diatribe publicly on Jacinda Ardern's Facebook page. I know Jacinda pretty well. Like she, she's a good friend, and she's been a, she's been a kind friend to me for many years. And this fucking idiot was like, "You're a big tooth bitch. Fuck you, slut. You're going to run the country into the ground, and we're all going to be like half naked bushmaris running around the forest." Like it was racist and sexist, and 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 also it was towards someone that I have a genuine human love for you know even if i didn't know her, i'm like there's no fucking way to talk to anyone they you know this unkind person's thing and put it on their facebook page and i was like yo this is crazy do you mind if i share this and they're like no go for it so i have a public facebook page which isn't huge it's like ten thousand followers on something i put it on it went so wild dude like it's had like a, nearly a hundred thousand views or something <laughs> the poor and guy's like, in hiding somewhere in hokitika <laughs> yo for real his auntie e- emailed me and I felt bad, kind of, but at the same time, like, by me, like, stepping up and saying, this is not okay. No one should talk about women like this or indigenous people like this. This is racist and this is sexist. And we never see this in our liberal bubbles. And this is actually what the problem is. You know, there are hundreds of comments. Literally, like, if you look at the thing, like, you know, I think like 92,000 people have seen it or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then a lot of people are like, thank you for drawing attention to this. And that takes up my time and my energy. You know, people send me hate mail as well. And like, fuck you, you know, like, fucking, you think that you're, you know, like, why are you even making a big deal about it? And it's like, well, because I do have a small platform and I should draw attention to what's wrong with things and how we can do it better. You know, like, if I said something stupid, which I have done in the past. People have called me out on it and it's been painful, but like it's taught me. And so, but yeah, it was well, do you wild. Think we, do you think we underestimate the effect of shaming? Well, no. So I didn't do it to shame him. 
that's a, that I, I had a good think about that. Like, I, you know, like I, someone was like, yo, what's this, the Socratic triple um, filter or whatever, you know, like, is it useful? Is it helpful? Is it kind? You know what I mean? Like, mm. so people have shamed me on Twitter that, and it's been wrong to be honest with you, like based on an assumption, based on someone's opinion, based on someone's like worst possible take of 140 characters, people have tried to make me out to be someone I'm not. And, and I'm not saying that out of defense, like that's, that's my experience of it. At the same time, people have said, hey, what you said is a bit inconsidered. Um, have you considered A, B, and C? And I'm like, oh, yo, thank you. I'm right. You've talked with me. Um, you've taught me something. I appreciate it. I apologize. You know, like I think the way we interact online is really important. Are you calling someone out to shame them and to be seen to be the person who shames someone? You know, like there's this very virtue signaling, hey, look at me. I'm going to be sarcastic and funny and mock this person and everyone's going to high-five me and I'm going to get the social validation from it, but nothing's going to change. Or am I going to engage with this person who said something problematic and talk with them uh, and maybe help them see what's wrong? What do you think is value in shaming though? Not really, no. To be honest... I don't know if me putting it. So I, let me get back. So I, that's a good. That's a good thing. Like I, I don't know. I don't think so. Like but that was the old days, right? Like public shaming someone was totally because everybody knows human yeah. nature. Like we are pack animals, and being isolated in a pack is like this our biggest fear. It's not going to jail or something like that. That's pretty scary. But actually being isolated from people and being lonely and alone and yeah. And so I don't know if I sound hypocritical now because I don't think shaming people. I guess I do sound hypocritical now. I don't know. Well, it's I just a discussion. People, you don't have to have a stand on it. I, I just think it's interesting to discuss yeah, it. Yeah, I don't necessarily think shaming people works in changing their individual behavior, but I, I, I pointed this kid's... But that guy's probably going to be changed, right, from this? Because I wanted people to know that this is not how we should talk about women and indigenous people and, in fact, fucking anyone. And that um, if he's going to put it out there publicly for himself, you know, like as a comment on someone else's Facebook page, like it's on Jacinta Adams' public Facebook page for the world to see. He obviously didn't care. I, all I did is draw attention to it, right? Sure. And then I felt, then I did feel bad though because his auntie was like, he's had to shut down his Facebook page. He's getting like death threats and like people are sending him so much abuse and like, you know, like why did you do this in the first place? And I'm like, because it's important to highlight what sexism looks like, what misogyny looks like. You wouldn't say fuck you slut to any male politician would you you know you're not gonna you're not gonna like judge a male politician anywhere near as much as we judge female politicians on the way they look you know or are they going to have kids or any of that bullshit and so i wanted to highlight like yo this is not okay and these are still like the problems we have in new zealand we still have casual racism and casual sexism just like anywhere in the world and we need to challenge that do we challenge it by shaming people i don't necessarily think so I don't, but at the same time, in this particular instance, I wanted to highlight what the problem was. That was my intention. To change those things, we need to gently have conversations with people quite often. Hey, this is problem A. Yo, when you say that, you're reinforcing these stereotypes or you're conveying this cultural norm. You, do you know what I mean? And you think they just don't realize they're doing that? I think a lot of people don't. Like, you know, a lot of people, when you say, don't be gay or, um, that's so fucking hoary or any, any sort of like casually racist or homophobic thing. I think a lot of people genuinely don't consider the, uh, the impact I think of that. That's, that's one thing. Cause I mean, that's, that's kind of just, you know, casual and I think that's sort of ignorance, but 
what that guy said is a very direct derogatory. Like I don't think having a, I think he knew what he was doing. Exactly. I think so too. And so I'm like, okay, you're a sexist. So I'm just going to call you out on that. Mm. Whereas if someone had said something that was open to, like there's no, there's not open to interpretation when you say, fuck you slut, right? Like there's not particularly new. It's like, well, you didn't like think about that deep and multi-layered like point that you were making there. And I think when people do make, say things that they may be unaware of, it's important not to shame them and then to, in fact, open a door to a conversation. Oh, hey, yo, did you consider the, this, this, and this? And, like, it actually might make them feel shit when you say things like that. And why do we have such higher rates of suicide for these demographics? And a lot of that to do is with, like, oppression and shaming and never seeing yourself reflected positively in the world around you and blah, 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 blah. And the language that we use and the products that we buy and the kind of support can impact that. Does that make sense compared to here's someone who's clearly sexist. Let's highlight how sexist this is and say we need to change this. Mm. Yeah, that actually helps me make sense of that recent experience. Thank you. You're welcome. That's what we're here for. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? And so the point I'm making is that if I'm just going back to how this evolved, this, this talking point evolved, it's like if I'm just staying in my lane the whole time and not putting myself out there and trying to make whatever small impact I can make in, in my tiny little sector of the world, like, will I be impacting change? Probably not. Yeah, we might be happy and well and content, but I'm not necessarily living for other people to try and make a difference. You know what I mean? Like, and I think that's important. Like, if you can help people, we should help people. And I'm just one fucking average white dude, uh, well, trying to do, do some shit. But if it does reach people, then why not do it? And I'm routinely reminded that it does because folks from literally all over the world will message and be like, yo, I read this or saw this or thanks for this. So I'm like, well, fuck, if it's getting to even just one person, that's something. Yeah. I see people who like have crazy huge platforms not using them for social good. And I'm like, man, I wish my platform was as big as your platform because I could reach more people and tell them to like, not tell them, gently encourage and, and to look at the world differently and act differently and be differently and fucking eat more broccoli and do some push-ups and, like, love yourself and other people and, you know, like, challenge racism and sexism and homophobia and all in the imper- imperfect, jabbled sort of fucking way that I do. But, like, it would be great to have an audience that you could do that with, right? I see a lot of people with, like, a million followers on Instagram and, like, they're just, like, promoting bullshit. You know, and it's just like, man, there are enough people selling Ciroc. Like, can't you use this to, like, talk about something else? You know, like, people hate on fucking wellness bloggers. You know, people are like, look at all these fucking yoga-doing, green smoothie-drinking motherfuckers. Fuck them. Who do they think they are? And I'm like, what? Like, that's awesome. Yeah, like, that affects a certain privileged group of people, but isn't that a good thing to encourage people to, like, be kinder to themselves and the planet and the world around them. There's a stupid meme like, what does a vegan who does CrossFit tell you first? Like, (laughs) it's like, fuck you. All right. You know, like, who cares? Like, people are encouraging other people to be healthy and they're passionate about it. That's a good thing. You know, like in New Zealand and indeed much of the developed world, obesity is the leading killer of people or obesity-related illness. In New Zealand, like two-thirds of people are – um, obese or overweight, and there are socioeconomic factors to that. I'm well aware of that, and we have this 
culture that's inundated with advertising about Coke and Pepsi and junk food and KFC and those shitty products and alcohol sponsor everything. And those are drivers of human behavior for sure. And we need to challenge that. What's, what's wrong with encouraging people to choose the fucking kale salad over the um, mashed potato and gravy? I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but we mock those people. You know, we shame people who are really passionate about CrossFit. You know, like we constantly are reinforcing shitty things in our culture, I think. Like my whole life having been involved in like straight edge and like trying to be involved in to the best of my ability and it's always changing and always learning and I'm very imperfect, but like I wasn't trying to fucking be involved in alternative think what you know, ways of thinking and being. Like as soon as you talk about that stuff, so many people will try and take you down a notch for stepping outside of like boxes of socially acceptable behavior and understandings. You know, like it's quite funny. Like I'm, I, you know, I guess I, I call myself a feminist and, and, you know, I don't do drugs and shit like that. And, and, and most of my friends don't think about those things. Actually, I don't really hang out in that bubble of one bubble of people. I hang out with a pretty diverse group of people, you know, like any given day, I'm literally talking to people who have like fucking got gang patches and been in jail and shit to like fucking, I don't know, texting the prime minister. Literally, that's weird. You know, like, you know, like, uh, and so like that means that I'm constantly exposed to all these different ideas. And I find that still having, mm, I guess, minority values and ways of being, people will try and shame you into conforming, you know? Like, I think people don't like to be challenged or they don't like to feel judged or, or nah. threatened. And I think that's, we've got, you know, one thing I notice uh, just because I've been out of New Zealand for four years and it's, you know, as you know, like it gives you a, a new set of glasses to wear when you go home. Um, but I notice New Zealand has a collective defensiveness. Oh, it does. And yeah. so like you can't say anything bad <laughs> well, you can't give any feedback to anyone. And you certainly, if, you, if you're if you a rock star and you come down and you say, oh, I didn't really enjoy my time in New Zealand. Well, good luck trying to come back again. Like yeah, the country exactly. will turn on you. And it's like, well, no, it's not we're not saying it's a, this is a bad thing or whatever. I'm just saying, hey, you've got a great country and here's some ways to improve. And it's like, yeah. fuck you. Get out. Don't bother coming back. And so we kind of we have this instant defensiveness that's it's like a real cultural thing that we have. Uh, yeah, it, and it, it, it really goes down to the individual level. So I think what you're talking about when it's like, hey, have you considered um not eating that burger and trying calcetto salad? <laughs> it's like, well, who's this guy think he is coming in telling me how to get a yeah, better, exactly. healthy body? And it's not about telling people how to live. Like, you tell people don't do something, you just can put their walls up. It, and it's how you convey that message. Like I was saying earlier, like in my 20s, I was really like, don't do this, fuck that, this is bad, angry at everything. I've come to understand that, like, it actually can be counterproductive. It's about talking with people, not at them, you know, like. It's about what yeah. do you see now? Like, what do you see in New Zealand? Like, I, I don't spend as much time there as, as you do. You live there, and you're you're out there talking in schools and everything. What do you see in New Zealand? You know, the things that are troubling for me is domestic violence statistics, suicide statistics, and things that don't seem to get that much airtime. Though they have got more and more. Uh, yeah. So what do you I, see out there? Yeah, I think there is. Um, I think we live in a really divided country. I think I think there are people who are um, genuinely forward thinking and 
compassionate and empathetic and they want a cleaner environment and they want to challenge all those statistics and social norms and they want to challenge deeply embedded ideas that we have around misogyny and and, and, and they're working hard to make a change. And at the same time, I see people who are just like, what are you talking about? That's such <laughs> bullshit. Like, everyone's got it equal here. No one's treated any differently. You know, like, everyone can get the doll, all these stupid, like, myths. And, and, and they're just, they're so far removed, those two groups. And I think, unfortunately, like, extremists on either the ends of those things get to dominate a lot of the discourse, and that's problematic. Because I think people who have got like unreasonable ideological filters on actually stop being productive a lot of the time. They're, they'll be like the most idealistic within their small peer circle, but they won't necessarily, and they'll yell the loudest about who's doing it right with the in activist circles or how bad everyone or how crazy all these activists are if you're in like, you know, reactionary circles. And, and when you have those sort of extremes, it actually isn't helpful. Like not a lot gets done from those positions. It's like, and so that's, it troubles me that, that we're in the same country, which is a tiny fucking country. I mean, you know, where I am here in Guadalajara right now, like, like the, the wider Guadalajara is, it's got more people than our whole nation. Do <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Uh, but when you have those extremes, it's it's problematic. I think like we need to learn how to talk with each other through those issues that you raised, so that we can change things. You know what I mean? And move towards not the centre. I mean, I'm not a centrist. I guess politically, I'm. I mean, I know like politically, I'm left leaning, and I have all these values that I want to see m- more widely adopted, so that they're not considered odd like pay parity for women shouldn't be odd like not fucking abusing women shouldn't be unusual you know but at the moment like one in three women are victim of family violence and one to four to one in five are victim of sexual violence and both those things are underreported and that's it's disgraceful you know like why is violence against women so accepted in our culture i don't want you know, I wish, so I go in schools and I go to universities and I talk to young people about, you know, rape culture. I wish I didn't have to explain that. I wish I didn't have to explain that when we give people from 11 years onwards a steady diet of choruses which are um, about blurred lines or I fuck your bitch nigga, she's about to fuck my crew or people get their sex education from like five on one gag factor gang bangs and people think that's what sex is so 14 year old girls go to hospital with anal sex related injuries these are all fucking things that i get told by parents and educators and sometimes students like i wish i didn't have to do that so like we need to challenge those things but at the same time fucking do it in a way that reaches mainstream people do you know what i mean because mm. i think we're quite I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to learn how to do it myself, you know. Like, I guess I come from, like, this alternate, alternative scene as a young person, and now I found myself uh, as a spokesperson. You know, like, I do all this national-level shit now around family violence. Like, I'm on the board at White Ribbon, and I do all this, you know, like, you know, I, I do what I can and, and, you know, go on mainstream media, not just social media sometimes, to talk about these issues. 
it's like how do you communicate that so people like me aren't unusual and everyone has these understandings i guess you you've got the right idea that it's it seems like when you look at it that way that to me that feels overwhelming that feels like oh, such a big problem this huge problem where the country's divided into that seems too much but one person at a time or one school at a time feels much more reasonable yeah exactly exactly yeah it does it does feel more reasonable you know like you know, so i spoke at wellington college earlier this year wellington college in new zealand was the catalyst for a big protest a lot of young women in Wellington led on parliament about stopping rape culture. Um, these boys had written a bunch of bullshit on into Facebook and they had got one good student had leaked it out to the media or whatever. And they got the, these young men, like teenagers, we had been like, if you don't take a boy, not a true Wellington college boy, someone else has just written fuck woman. You know, and we had the Rosebusters thing, so and all of that sort of stuff in the last few years. And so um, clearly we have some very problematic, misogynistic, pro-rape ideas that boys are fucking holding. And I went down there and I did, did, my, did my talk, and, and I talked to every year group, did like uh, five hours there. And I'm just one of many good – I mean, there are good educators out there around sex and consent – but they're still in the minority, I guess, you know, like when it comes to who gets it, we've got like a, a quite a haphazard approach to these talks in, in New Zealand. You know, like schools sort of get to choose what is in the curriculum, what is in it, and who, which groups get to come in and yada, yada, yada. Anyway, you know, I talked to 1,500 boys and it was a very emotional day and like they got it at the end of it. Kids would message me on Instagram or Facebook or whatever and be like, yo, I never thought about it like that, you know, like. So it's like, how do we equip our young people so they they get it? You know what I mean? Like, how do we use language that they use and ideas that they can relate to to help them challenge what society teaches them? You know, people are like, you know, like, and those boys have this negative reaction to feminism. And I'm appreciative to feminism. Like, I'm a feminist because it's taught me about a kind of fairer, more equitable society for for everyone, like it's helped me step outside of my gender roles and, and, and feminism hates men, but it doesn't, you know, like they have all these shitty understandings about that stuff. It's like these boys aren't bad boys, you know, like they're boys and they've soaked up what the word around them has taught them. You know, when they grow up watching pornography where, which is on the internet and on their smartphones and, you know, we have a pornified culture and we sell ice blocks through some sort of like, vaguely veiled fucking blowjob image and they grow up watching like you know a group of guys fuck some girl real roughly and pull her hair and slap her and call her a whore and a slut and she acts to like it like that's what they're getting their ideas about what sex and relationships are you know like you can't fault a kid who's got no critical filters and everyone else around doing it for not understanding that that's deeply problematic and that in fact their sexual partners don't probably want um, to have anal sex on the first date when they're 14 or 15, you know what I mean? They probably don't want a group mm. of guys to ejaculate on their face like you're watching on the internet. Sorry, kids, I'm just putting it out there. And, and, when, and when we have those frank conversations, they fucking get it, but we don't have those frank conversations. Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, it's like I heard the question the other day. Um, someone just said, where did you learn how to have sex? Yeah, exactly. Where, where did you get educated well, about that? 
And it's like, well, the first answer is, well, no, yeah, we're exactly. formally, right? Um, and the second answer is like, well, depending how old you are, either magazines or, you know, from porn, that's, totally. that's your education. And that's fucked up. So how yeah, do you expect exactly. it to go? Exactly. <laughs> There's a factor here too that's pretty strong for me, and that's that you are pretty fucking cool. What's that? Oh. <laughs> and so like, I, you're, you're pretty cool, and I think that's like a big factor of your impact in schools. Like if you've got some um, – like fuddy duddy coming in there telling them to stop doing something it's like whatever but you come in there you're a cool guy you speak the language you've got tattoos you're muay thai champion i think it has a, a much bigger thanks, impact man. coming from well, you thanks <laughs> yeah well i don't know that's all the teachers <laughs> say because i talk the way i do and i'm pretty energetic and i still like try and you know fucking keep up with the trends like People think I'm younger than I am. Like, then they think I'm in my, like, early 30s or late 20s. But, you know, I'm 40 soon. I'm 37. Like, yo, it's great to have a young person come and do this. I'm like, yo, fuck, I'm young, you know. Like, <laughs> but, like, I figure, like, while I have that, this is all, this is coalescing what we're talking about. While I have that, use it to the best of my ability. So I'm doing that all around New Zealand this year. I want to know how can I do that, like, in the world, you know. Like, how can I get, like, a bigger platform to talk to students everywhere in the world about this sort of shit? Or, like, be part of, like, some international movement around this sort of shit. Boys want to be good boys. They don't, you know, no one grew up wanting to be a rapist. Lots of men are. That should be your next T-shirt. Maybe. But, like, fucking, like, lots of men are, and that's a despicable crime, and I don't know if I can even forgive anyone who's a rapist. Like, I hate that. Like, I hate them. But what made them that? What made them not understand what consent is and, 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 and reciprocity and respect of women is and what no is, you know, like what we live in a fuck world that teaches people about sexual entitlement in, in all the wrong ways, you know, and, 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 and women are getting hurt and girls are getting hurt. And you know what? Some men getting hurt, you know, like men are victims of sexual violence too. And quite often that's from other fucking men. And, and, and yet we don't have these frank conversations very often. I think that's a that's a big part of it, right? Is that we no you know, my family growing up we had the unspoken rule of just no awkward conversations. Just don't don't have anything awkward. I was talking about the start of this interview, um, about my father and all that, but and we talk you know, we talk about the negative shit, you know, growing up with, with violence and screaming and all that sort of bullshit. But like, you know what, my dad's a fucking good dad because when he was sober, which was for good periods of his life between relapses, that was great in having honest conversations with me. Not always the most nuanced language, but my dad taught me specifically, it does a man good to cry. You know, like he said that to me. And um, he said, I'm going to fuck what my dad swears a lot. Like you can tell I swear a lot. My dad swears a lot. <laughs> my dad was like, I'm going to fuck what you do as long as you're happy. I'm going to fuck if you're the janitor. I'm like what a cool thing to tell your son. My dad said to me, like, if you ever yeah. rape someone, I will disown you, you know, like always respect women. And like, um, you know, you know, I, once my dad gave my mom a black eye and that sucks and, and that's it. It's fucking awful. But, um, you know, like I'm pretty sure I was like 10 years old, but I, he was like, never do that. You know, like never hit a woman. That's wrong. What I did was wrong. Well, it doesn't up. tidy it up. It doesn't take that away from my mother or from. Well, I mean, he but, could have not mentioned yeah. it and just gone on and been embarrassed about it, but he, he yeah, chose to yeah. own up and yeah, exactly. speak to you about it. And so while I say I don't know if you ever forgive a rapist, like, 
I know men working in the family violence sector who have been abusive towards people or use violence against women and like they've fucking changed, you know what I mean? Like my father's changed. So it puts me in this weird cognitive dissonance space. I'm like if you can learn and do better and act better and then use all of that stuff to in fact inform other people, that's a good thing. If you work in the alcohol and drug space, so many, like the majority of people who are alcohol and drug counselors were addicts at one stage. They have that lived experience. You know, I think the reason I'm okay at doing what I do is because while I've never been an addict or never been a victim of sexual violence, I've been around a lot of really hurt people my whole life and I have a deep empathy for them. And that empathy allows me to communicate in a way that people feel rather than think about. Because people don't really remember statistics and facts and figures, and that shit doesn't really change behavior, but people remember how you make them feel. And when you can move someone to think differently, it's something you should do, I guess, you know what I mean? You know, like, if, you have the, if you're ever in the position to, to share some shit authentically and people reflect on that, and then perhaps alter their behavior or their understandings or go on and share that, then I guess it's a good thing to do with your life, which is why I'm quite open when anyone asks about what I've done wrong as much as what I do right. You know, like you're very complimentary and you're kind and you say I'm cool and all this sort of stuff. Thank you, you know, like maybe. But like I guess like a lot of people don't necessarily focus on what's wrong with them as well. And we've all got like I said at the start, good and bad things in it, you know? And like when I listen to my favorite people talk, they're just authentic as fuck about what they've done wrong, you know? And that's where they've got the most. I think that's that's because there's so much uh, around, I think, addiction and depression, anxiety, there's a lot of shame attached to it. And I think, you know, shame can only live in the dark and the shame can only live when it's not spoken. So that's why I love having these conversations with people like you because it's you model what it looks like to just own your stuff, own the truth, be authentic, and that okay, it's a little bit embarrassing sometimes, but I say, only I say for a little there, bit. you know, like so I was in this documentary about pornography because I used to look at pornography, you know, like I, you know I first saw a porno movie when I was ten. I don't know what the fuck. I didn't know about feminism when I was ten. I didn't know about you know like gender inequality and rape culture when I was ten. Just like my friend's big brother's like, I want to watch a porno movie. I was like, literally, what's a porno movie? And then on a obviously, VCR from yeah, on a fucking speed. VCR. <laughs> yeah, on a VCR. And obviously, it was really exciting. And then you fall into like, oh, well, porno's cool. You know, like go to an all boys high school and everyone's watching porno and, you know, you know, all that sort of shit. And like, you know, so I was in a documentary about why I don't look at porn and, you know, like how I came out of that through discovering feminism and all this sort of shit. And, why porn's problematic for a society, which it is. And literally, like, so many dudes would come up to me at the club and be like, yo, man, what the fuck? Like, my girlfriend was asking me after they saw that documentary and I had to answer all these awkward questions because we don't talk about porn, you know? Like, we don't talk about, you know, like, just like we don't talk about, you know, addiction or we don't talk about, I mean, we're starting to talk about mental health really well, but there's still some people have got bad poor understandings about it. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, that's changing. That's good. Like, shout out John Kerwin and Mike King and all the other fame, like, amazing Instagram accounts and people have been honest about what their struggles are, you know? But, like, it's just being authentic to the one, you know? It was funny with that porn thing. Like, um, when I speak in schools, 
I'm always like, who looks at porno and I, or who's looked at porno? And I put my hand up and like, no one puts their hand up. And I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> you guys are bullshitting me. Like, you know, like I was 16 once, none of the teachers. But then you say some shit and then you're like, is porn nice to women? Or like when you watch porn, like, is it gentle and loving and are there jokes or is it rough and nasty? And everyone's like, it's rough and nasty. You know, like they know, you know, when you break it down for them and help people think critically mm-hmm. about that. They're like, oh, yo. I'm like, you know, I love hip-hop music. Like, I'm, this is a big cognitive distance for me again. Like, you know, I started listening to hip-hop when I was, like, fucking 11. You know, like, you know, NWA and Easy and, like, you know, from then on, like, I've always had this thing for gangster rap. Like, the way it sounds, I find is quite empower- empowering. You know, the struggles of overcoming different things and I really resonate with. But. It is deeply misogynistic, the messaging in, in a lot of gangster rap. And so when I speak in schools, again, I'm like, yo, what's the, what's the go-to word for females in hip-hop music? And they're like, yo, bitch or ho. And I'm like, yeah, is that respectful? Nah. What does it say about our culture and what we're teaching children or young people, all people, in fact, about how we regard women when they get a sex education from violent porn and on the radio you can hear songs about bitches and hoes? You know, like it's teaching us all the wrong shit. And then we wonder why we have the problems that we have. You can't expect kids to pull good ideas and better behaviors out of a fucking black hole. And you're selling them that bullshit every fucking day. And, and, and until people stop making so much money off spreading shitty ideas, there's going to be, it's going to be an uphill battle for all the people wanting to change things. Then with the alcohol and drug space, you know, like I did that work for a long time and now it's a passion, not a paid profession, but fucking it's, um, you know, it was the Steinlager All Blacks. It's the Woodstock fight for life in New Zealand. Mm. Like it's, it's Budweiser boxing. It's like, I don't know, what, what, who sponsors the hockey teams in Canada? Alcohol companies? Yeah, sometimes? Molson, the big Mol- beer company. Yeah, Molson, big beer company. It's like when you associate alcohol with sport, it becomes intertwined. Alcohol is a fucking carcinogen. Alcohol kills 5 million people annually worldwide. Alcohol causes cancer at rates of tobacco. No one talks about that. No one talks about alcohol being involved in depression, being involved in sexual violence, being involved in fucking suicide. Like, it's just this normal go-to thing. Again, we don't break that down for people. We don't break down, like, brand associations with experiences and how that impacts our behavior to normalize it. You know, we, don't, we don't break down, like, Alcohol being involved in first birthdays, 21st birthdays, 40th birthday, 50th birthdays, weddings, funerals, and why that is the given. It's just so ubiquitous it's that... It's part of the culture. It's part of the culture. People say, it's our culture. I'm like, it's not our culture, motherfucker. It's fucking taught behavior. Like, by big alcohol companies that ensure that it's embedded, you know, like, in how we do things. You know, like, spades... The beer in New Zealand, which is the great southern man's beer and has all these ideas and tropes around masculinity, it's fucking owned by Mitsubishi. It's a Japanese company. You know, it's <laughs> like, get the fuck out of here telling me it's our culture. It's, 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 it's taught to us. It's bullshit. You know, like, I'm not saying don't drink, like, but if you're going to drink, do it sensibly because chances are you're going to hurt yourself and hurt other people. And we don't question that. We don't question things enough in our society. We're taught to just go along with things and we shame people into thinking that if they're different, they're wrong. And in fact, that's 
the big driver to why we have so many issues that we struggle with. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good points, and I love, yeah, I just love talking about it. I love having the discussion and hearing your view on it. I guess that brings us to time. Yeah, we've got to wrap it up. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and we could talk about this for, for hours. But uh, I'm interested, the last question I always ask is about your dark side, just to bring it back to you and just because, again, I'm interested in talking about things that aren't talked about so much. And, like, for me, and the dark side is something, you know, whatever you interpret that as, but that, that part of you that you keep hidden or that can sneak up and sabotage you if you're not careful. Um before, before we come to that, I want to give you a chance just to uh, share what you're up to, where people can find you, how do people contact you if they want to hear you speak, and, and anything else you want to promote. Oh, that's kind, man. Um, I'm in the process of updating my website because my website's a bit old and clunky now, and it's quite out of date, but it's richiehardcore.co.nz. Um, but, yeah, there's an email form there. But if you want to, you know, if you're interested in me speaking, I just email me inquiries at richiehardcore.co.nz. Thank you. Yeah, I've been speaking in businesses like Vodafone and stuff about mental health and coping and yeah, speaking in schools and universities and different organizations around rape culture and stopping violence. Although those aren't exclusively what I talk about. I've also been talking about wellness and, you know, being a meat-free athlete and shit. Um, and social media, just Richie Hardcore on Facebook, Richie.hardcore, no T and Richie. Same on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, and people can reach me through all those things. I'm I'm pretty responsive. Um, I'm kind of at the point where I'm sometimes real busy and busy enough to do with a PA, but not able to afford one. But not not busy enough to be able to afford one. Cool. We'll put all those notes in the in the um, show notes so people can find you easily. Thank uh, you. Yeah. So last question, Dark Side. Do you do you resonate with that concept? Do you have one, and do you have a way to embrace it? What do you mean by dark side? Like depression or? Yeah, so dark side is, if you imagine the light side is the stuff in the light, so the stuff that we are happy for people to see about us, and the dark side is those things like, um, you know, dark side might be like there's a propensity to be violent, like if I'm not careful there's an anger in me that bubbles up, or like sexual dark side, whatever. But the, the stuff that maybe is hidden. I've been pretty open about things mental health wise but there have been periods in my life where I've wanted to kill myself I never have tried to attempt suicide but it, there have been moments where like I've had a bunch of sleeping pills and I'm like oh my god if I just take all those things and not wake up that might be a good idea and I think about it a lot you know for some 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 time so after my divorce I fell into what they call a dysthymia like a long low depression I never really identified it for what it was I remember at work once a manager of mine pulled me aside and was like, you've been taking a lot of sick days and your energy is really weird. And she'd been working in social work for a long time. She's like, do you suffer from depression? And I was like, no. And then I burst into fucking tears at her office and went home. <laughs> and, and, um, and, and I didn't realize that until kind of recently, um, fucking because – I got. I was doing really well, but then a, a partner I'd been with for a long time—not well, a long time, but a couple of years. Um, yeah, she she'd been cheating on me, and like it all came to light in this really painful uh, manner. And then I real then I got fell into like a proper situation of depression, and it put me on Xanax. And yeah, my go-to was like, I just want to never wake up again. You know what I mean? And I was taking Xanax, and that just kind of made me feel worse after a while. And I threw that away and just went back to 
what had worked for me and that was training and I trained really hard and for a long time and ran my first full marathon back in March and and I guess that that highlighted to me that I have this propensity to like think those fatalistic final thoughts if I'm really hurt and lost but if I reconnect with what has saved me since I was a kid, which is training hard in martial arts and exercise, and then this new thing of speaking publicly about that, then that's for something. That pain I felt and that loss I felt has allowed me to have a deeper understanding about my own mental health and then thus be able to empathize with other people and steer them towards evidence-based coping mechanisms because I know that there's a science now as I've gotten older behind how I deal with my life and mental health in it. And if I'm like, if exercise isn't for you and it's not a catch-all, you know, I still see a psychologist every week and I've done that for a long time and I steer people towards that. And not just my, no, my psychologist, I mean, but like, yo, check out a therapy. People get in touch online. I'm like, here are a range of options that are evidence-based and experientially have worked for me. Exercise, eating well, staying sober, getting some sleep when you can, writing down your thoughts. So I try and use all that dark side that I've experienced as, I guess, my own practice run. So when people ask for help, I can give them informed. Well, that's the best type of help you can give in my, in my experiences if you've been through it and you've found things that work passing that on to other people is the most valuable thing you can do. I think so too. And, and, and yeah, so I guess, yeah, I guess I do have that lurking around, you know, like I'm quite anxious to be honest with you. I don't, I don't um, suffer from an anxiety disorder. I'm not on medication or anything, but I've come to stand that my overthinking, which is quite a frequent experience for me, often can manifest in an anxiety, which can lead me into like weird, fucking, you know, late night social media messaging of people from the past while I'm trying to figure out some shit that happened, you know? Mm, like I, I see, yeah. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Like you can spiral, you know, and then you and then you go out and you're like, everyone's fucking looking at me and like, what is this shit? And like, ah, I'm just going to run away from Mexico, which is not why I'm Mexico, it's a joke, but <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, you know what I mean? like, of course, yeah. Yeah, I can be prone to that. Um, I do have like a, you know, I talked about being really angry when I was young, like been a couple of times in my adult life, in my 20s, when that wellspring of anger has boiled over and uh, I've been violent in um, like street fights. I've never started them, but like there's been a couple of times where people have like hurt someone I know, either physically or threatened to, and then just something has snapped at me. And I've like really fucked up a couple of people. Um, and I never got in trouble for it. And it was always like they started it. It was in self-defense. But you know, I spent my whole life doing martial arts. And while I'm not fucking George St. Pierre or Dolph Lundgren or Bruce Lee or anything, like I know how to fight. And like most people don't, to be honest, even if they're drunk and they think they do. I think and, they do, yeah. Yeah. And so like I've been – I'm mindful of that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. No, when I found, when 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 that partner of mine was cheating on me, and that fucking took me by so much surprise, and I had all this other pain in my life at the time, like a lot of difficult things were occurring in my life, and then that came out of the blue, and it fucking blew me away. You know, like I figured out, I found out who the guy was that she'd been having this affair with me on, 
And I sent him like this real threatening email. Like he lived in a different city. Fortunately for, for me, I guess, because I probably have done something really stupid at the time. Because I'm still, you know, I have pretty good impulse control, but when I'm crazy hurt, and I'm crazy hurt and I lose my fucking mind for just for a minute, like I'm, I'll write someone a threatening email. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And, and, and then I'll come back to earth. I'll come back to earth and I'll regain my senses. I mean, like, yo, dude, like you're like a degrade, like public figure. <laughs> you like, <laughs> you actually can't go around beating people up, even if that's <laughs> what you feel like doing. That's um, illegal <laughs> and that's wrong and violence actually isn't the answer. And you just have to sit with this pain and the sense of frustration and there is no vengeance. You just have to accept it and learn from this. And so you write, you know, the person who's been fucking your girlfriend behind your back for a while an email saying, hey, I'm sorry that I threatened you with that violence. All the best. <laughs> yeah, that's come with my dark sides, you know what I mean? Like just learning to control my feelings and my impulses, whether that's to kill myself or hurt someone else. Yeah, thank you for sharing that, man. It's, it's really valuable. It's really valuable to hear that and hear the ways that you uh, can articulate it because I think a lot of guys struggle to even articulate their struggles and I can tell you've done a lot of work on yourself just to be able to even articulate and understand what's going on, even if it's you can't always control it or you can't always get a hold of it. You well, know, just that, just that awareness is is so powerful. That awareness allows me to control it. Exactly. You know? Yeah. When when we know about things, we know about things. You, when you're aware of things, it becomes a choice. Yeah. Then you can deal with them. Then you can do. Yeah. Yeah. Which has been awesome. Thanks, man. I just have loved getting to know you. Uh, keep up the good work that you're doing, and yeah, thank you for being so open, and thank you for really uh, being yourself. No, I think you're, that's, you're, that's valuable. You're welcome, man. Thanks for being interested in me. <laughs> you're welcome. Cheers, dude. Okay. All right, dude. There you have it, folks. My conversation with the awesome Richie Hardcore. I hope you enjoyed that uh, conversation as much as I did. Check out Richie at his website, richiehardcore.co.nz or Richie Hardcore on all the social media. And as always, I'd uh, appreciate if you could share this around, give it a like, make a comment on Facebook. Any feedback you have is incredibly valuable for me, and I'd love to receive it. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I'll be back next week with episode 39 of The Nathan Seward Show. That was The Nathan Seward Show. Personal conversations with powerful men. 